Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined by Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? I'm better. How are you? What's better? What are you, what are you better from? I rested. No, when, when I you say you I built a home gym yesterday. You did? Yes. What, what, what consists in this gym? Uh, I put together my weight bench, uh, my, my weights, uh, my punching bag. Uh, you know, I moved a lot of shit around. You have kettlebells? I have no, I, I well, actually, I have a Bowflex kettlebell. Have you ever seen that? Well, I don't think I have. I'm, it goes, I have. it's adjustable from eight to 40 pounds. Well, that's pretty cool. Just turned a lever and it goes from eight to like the 15 and then to 20 to 25. You keep clicking it and then you lift it up. It's uh, there's still on it. It's pretty you get good. pretty. You're getting pretty serious about this getting in shape thing. Listen, my my main goal is for my 48th birthday next year, which is a little bit more than a than a, a year away, a little less than a year and away. Uh, I want to be one pound less than you. That's my that's my goal. Uh, let me tell I I got to get I got to get back in in tip top shape. I got things coming up in November that I have to be in shape for. Uh, is not going to help. That on Tuesday, we film this on a Sunday, uh, but this Tuesday, I am leaving for Italy. Yeah, because, you know, there's no good food there or anything. No, no. I, I'm, the thing is, I'm going to Italy. I'm going to look to avoid all carbs. That's it's a good thing. Why don't you try? But do me a favor, though. If you're going to Italy, I swear to God, I will find out. I'm telling you, I will find out. If you start talking like this when you're over there, I'm going to fucking murder you. I swear to Christ. <laughs> I've been practicing that <laughs> for the month leading up to this trip. Ugh. I'm doing no. a lot of Bobby the Boopy. Yeah, exactly. Peter Griffin. It's exactly yes, that's, what, that's what I'm doing. That's exactly I'm doing, what I see. I'm going to grow the mustache back. Yes. And then I will. I will hey, become... Is there an olive garden here? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Do you guys you when when you go to Olive Garden, do you just call it food? Now, you know you get it yeah, because that, here they that, call it Italian food. Yeah, use that at your comedy club next week and see if your, your club's open in two. How about <laughs> that's going to be my opening joke when I come back? No, well, you know you're lucky. You know why? Because they don't think they have any didgeridoos in freaking Italy. Let me tell you something. Did that joke this week? People love it. I can't. I people can't. love it. I, when I work with you, I, I'm not kidding. I, I, I'm, I'm being brutally serious. I'm putting this on record, okay? People are going to listen to this. People are going to download it so that way there's actual physical proof. If you ever do that joke when we're working together, because um, I'll probably be closing the show because I'm, I'm the headliner, I'll, I won't perform. I just won't perform. You are That's just assured. How- you just assured that I'm going to do the joke. You don't understand, like I mean, and for you know, let's just break the break the fourth wall down of this podcast to all our listeners. I don't hate you at all. In fact, I consider you a very good friend of mine. But when you do a joke about a didgeridoo, and you don't respect my comedic uh, knowledge and uh, foresight. Makes me want to kill you. It really does. It's a horrible joke. It's a really horrible joke. It's not a horrible joke. And this is what's going okay. So 
I got a million things going on in my life. No one's taking my top priority right now. I am arguing with a 19-year-old on uh, Twitter. Well, that's intelligent. And what is the argument about? You know, uh, I called him, uh, I I, I don't know, I I must have called him something. And, of course, he retorted, you're a failed comedian. And then I'm like, you know, it's, you know, that dumb shit. Like, that's the, it's predictable. It's like, that's the stuff that people go right for. They look at your profile. They see your, oh, you're a failed comedian. You, You don't know me. You know what the fuck I make. You don't know what you know what I do. I can vouch for him. Yeah. Am I arguing with you? Is this it's my it's my um it's my pseudonym. Are you, yeah. Are you are you round boy zero zero eight three? Not gonna be around for much longer. I'll tell you that, Round. I don't know, but this is this is who I'm arguing with right now. I don't I don't even do it anymore, dude. I have learned that the greatest thing that you can do is to not ever do oh, it. listen. I know that. I think I think people in our audience knows that that you don't argue with people on on Twitter or X or wherever it's called. But sometimes it just gets the better of you. And for me, it's always like a good friend. You know, it's like a good. You know what I? I have one friend who like ultra 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 left wing, right? And I don't talk politics ever, you know. But once in a while, I'll throw a little jab at one one of his uh posts and you gotta see how the floodgates open up oh why don't you just wear your red maga hat oh yeah a, oh you you like jason aldean like it's it's just fuck it is just out of control so i just i you know what it is man i have social media for two different reasons i do facebook and i do instagram i don't do twitter i don't like tiktok i hate that shit facebook is to try out jokes and post shows and Instagram is to look at puppy videos. And that's it. Okay, boomer. Yeah, exactly. That that that's what you get. I mean, it's it, it's such a fucking ugly world. Something happened, you know, on on that on that whole Twitter and social media universe. Something happened, like, and uh, so I just someone wrote this. They wrote, uh, "Try that in a small town." Or oh, that happened in a small town. But I, I, you, I just hear it in this voice. That just happened in a small town. It's like no. everything is just got to be like so ill. You know what it is? It's the fact that we we are from a generation that now has to embrace social media and understand the fact that every single person who is on social media feels that their voice actually means something and that their opinion actually means something. When we were growing up, we watched the news and we saw Walter Cronkite and his opinion mattered. You know why? Because there was only like seven opinions out there at the time. You know? So I always say this. I think we have access to more information than we ever have before. Yet we are the dumbest generation. We are the dumbest we've ever been oh, as a society than we are right now. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. The, it's it's the dumbification and the pussification of this nation. True. But you and I, okay, so we're going to take a break uh, from the show for a couple of weeks while while I'm away, while while I'm in Italy, and then we're going to come back. 
yeah. and, and and do the show uh, starting in September. We're doing this the third week in uh, August. Okay. And um, when we come back, we'll be able to talk about going to see, we're going to see uh, the first week in September, me, you are going to see Buck Cherry and Skid Row. Yes, it's going to be. I mean, there's I have a bunch of concerts uh, lined up before that. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a good show. Uh, I believe I have uh, I have Smashing Pumpkins this Thursday, and then I have that's a PNC. I would love to. I think Rival Sons is opening that show. Rival Sons, that's an insane show. And Interpol are are playing. Uh, Katie Cole is playing bass. Former guest, yes, former guest of ours, absolutely. Then uh, Life of Agony in Atlantic City, and then Bruce Springsteen, and then Buck Cherry and Skid Row, and then Hate Breed, and then Corey Taylor, and then Gin Blossoms, and I can just keep going. Where are you going to see Gin Blossoms at the Wellmont right after the day I, after Corey Taylor? I think they're playing with somebody really good on that show Tonic. too. Tonic and Fastball. Oh, that's right, Fastball. That's right. The nineties threw up inside of Montclair in one building, and there you go. Jim Blossoms have more hits than you realize. Jim Blossoms are an amazing band. I've always been a fan of that. I think those kind of bands, I really uh, think, got kind of sucked into like the shitty one-hit wonder. They're not a one-hit wonder. They've got. They're least, not at all. They, no, they, they, they got maybe five to seven songs that people would know that were radio uh, hits in the nineties. No, no, they're a great band, but I feel like they get they get a little uh, like Third Eye Blind for some reason stands out with a lot of people, and I don't understand why because they really only had one real record that was a hit, and it had like three really good songs on it. The rest of their stuff is just it's kind of mush. But then you have a band like Collective Soul who I think should be the biggest rock band in the world right now. And they just keep playing small little places. But the 90s, I put my money on them as probably the best rock band of the 90s. Yeah, I think with bands like that, like when you think 90s, I think most people go to Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And those bands, they weren't soft rock, but they they weren't grungy either. Right. It's it's like that pop rock. It's like... It's a chick rock. Like your girlfriend's gonna like it. You know, you're gonna be like 22 years old, or you just get out of college, and you're wearing flip flops that have a beer opener on the bottom of the, you know, on the bottom of the sole, and you're freaking wearing Hawaiian shirts on the weekend, and that's the kind of shit that your chick likes to listen to. Would you say that there is? Would you would you put in the same category a band like Oasis with Jim Blossoms? No, absolutely not. Gin Blossoms would be in the likes of Goo Goo Dolls, uh, Matchbox 20, Third Eye Blind, uh, Counting Crows, like in that kind of vein. I wouldn't put them in Oasis. Oasis was a was a, a different beast of their own, I think. But I I always liked uh, bands like the Gin Blossoms and all the bands that you, you kind of mentioned there. And I'm looking forward. I am really looking forward to seeing Skid Row in uh, in s- September. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I really hope that Skid Row is opening and that Buck Cherry is closing. That way I can leave right after Skid Row. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be uh, the, I don't think that's going to be the bill. I think Buck Cherry uh, opens that show. But right now we have a guy. He is a producer. He is a writer. I've seen him as a comedian. Okay. And best of all, Sean, okay. He is a fellow Staten Islander. We yes. are proud to welcome in Jay Miller. How are you, Jay? Best of all. Best Hello, of all. We have, friends. 
Yeah, How we have you? a little rivalry on the show. Sean is from Shitty, uh, New Jersey, and we are we are from proud Staten Island. Well, and I'm not. I, I don't hate the island. You know, I went to I went to college there. Uh, I, I shopped many a day at the Staten Island Mall. Uh, that's about the extent of my Staten Island uh, repertoire. You, what you call it. You might not like this too much, uh, Jeff, but. I left Staten Island. I now live in Brooklyn. You son of a bitch. You're, <laughs> here, you're here under false pretenses. We and I, in- I think my feelings on Staten Island have changed since I've left Staten Island. Uh, you, you miss you it, it now much. Too? I understand. JJ, you know what? You're an interesting dude, man. I remember I saw you do stand-up. But your your stand up isn't conventional stand up. You I you're kind of almost like like a, an Andy Kaufman esque type of comedian because I saw you at, on a place on on Bay Street. We were actually on the same show, and it just seemed to be like this long show too. And you went up and you read a book. Yes, that is so. I. My relationship with comedy has always been very complicated. Um, I just don't feel comfortable doing straight stand-up. So I've always did stuff that's different. But when you're doing stuff that's different, you always want to get validated by other comedians. So you feel like it's not good enough. So I've never really felt comfortable ever doing any sort of performing like which is the best one but um that bit like reading the book is one of my favorite things to do and I actually just found it again recently and I have started to do stand-up uh again after a very long break and that's been in my head of like doing that one uh again it's it, it it's interesting it's really risky but I mean, it's one thing it's not, it's not boring and it's different. And I found, I like that. I love that type. I love comics that take a risk. I hate, I hate just, you know, you know, it's coming, you know, it's the guy standing on the wall. He hates his life. He's unemployed. Yeah, we get it. Jeff, that's your first 20 minutes of your fucking act. This is my fucking deal with my God. I I, I gotta upgrade. Um, oh, I hate my wife. Oh, <laughs> shut up! You're gonna say I don't. I, I've never said those words in my life. Uh, but Jay, you, you did you grow up on Staten Island? Yeah. For for um, when did I move to uh, uh, Brooklyn? Maybe seven years ago. So yeah, probably my first forty years were spent here. Okay, and you went to more Catholic high school, right? I did. Ooh. Okay. Just so like, uh, um, this is your life. Oh yeah. It, it, well, we, could, we, we, we could be going down that path. Uh, be, what before, you did... be, before you say anything, I do want to say that right before I came home and I I ate a a, a a cheese sandwich. I just put cheese in the microwave and ate it really quickly. And the cheese is all like on my gums, so I don't want people to think that I like I'm like doing drugs because I keep like licking the top of my lips but i'm gonna get it now but i just have melted cheese on my gum good land of lakes it's really good yeah yeah i'm like anyone on that cheese seeing me like 
Just the whole time. That's not what's happening. I need some Gouda. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So when you were in high school, is that where you started to find the, the, the comedy bug? Were you kind of a uh, uh, performing arts kid? I was always funny. I was the class clown, you know, first grade every year. I was the the kid who um, teachers didn't hate me. They they just didn't like that I was disruptive, but I was always like a nice kid. I wasn't really an asshole, but I just wouldn't shut up. So that was always it. And when I got into high school, I was involved in musical theater, but you know, sometimes the the thought of performing or, or is I don't know, just never felt like a thing. It didn't, you know. I think it's things that like people in Hollywood do. Do you know what I mean? So it just never seemed anything that was attainable. Um, so I never did it. I didn't do stand up until I was around twenty two, and I hated it. I, I did it for a few months, and I just hated it so much. It was so competitive. And, you know, you're doing like bringer shows where you have to bring friends and it's like, hey, come to the show. It's going to be like over two hours long. Every comic is terrible. It's going to be $20 and you have to buy three drinks. So it's going to cost you like 30, 40 bucks. And you get to watch me for five minutes. I like. I didn't and like you never spoke to Andy Engel again, right? Who was what was, it, what was, it, what was the show that you did? Wait, who is that? Andy Engel was was kind of like the famous guy in New York City who worked all the clubs who uh, ran the bringer shows. And, if, you know, like you said, you would have to bring sometimes six people. If you brought five, he wouldn't let you on. Oh, I did gosh. one bringer show in the first year that I did comedy. Didn't you do it at the Comedy Lounge? The Laugh Lounge. The Laugh Lounge. The Laugh Lounge. The yeah, Laugh Lounge. The Laugh Lounge. Lounge. In Essex Street. And uh, I was supposed to bring 10 people and I brought nine. And I got screamed at that I shouldn't be allowed to go on stage, but I'm going to let you go on. But I'm taking a minute off of your time. That's fucking crazy. You fucking showed me, huh? Yeah, that's that's, that's really Jay. What year did you graduate high school? Ninety four. Okay, so you're you're at you're at more Catholic. You're doing the 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 shows, and more I think had a pretty good theater department. Um, did you go from? Did you go? You went to college at the College of Staten Island. Yes. And did you, were you involved in theater there as well? No, I got involved in college radio. And that oh. was that was my whole college career. Like, I didn't even go to class. I would go to the radio station, hang out there all day. What kind Listen. of show was it? Did you do? Was it a music show? Um, yeah, it was a music show. But then it became like uh, I did a late night comedy show. Um, on the radio? On the radio. Was it like a Dr. Demento type of thing? No, no, it, it was. Um, I tried to do things that were different uh, during that show. And it was hard because the people who ran the radio station weren't supportive of me. So it was me fighting them. Like they wouldn't let me take live phone calls. So I would play music, take a phone call, record it onto a dat. When the song ended, would then play the phone call. So it felt like a live call-in show. And so it was all this like crazy stuff that I was doing. Um, and I would play games like um, like I did a, a an Easter egg hunt once where I hid eggs on the island and had people like drive around and, and find it. And um, they didn't like that. 
uh, um, I would build songs where people would call in and give me one line and then I would make a song from each person would give a line and then it would become this song. So um, it would be like bits with music in between. And uh, I mean, it was the best. It, it was it. It stunk because the uh, you know looking back, I wish the the people who ran the station were like, you know, hey, we don't like that you're doing this, but let's this was WSIA, today. right? WSIA, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, like if if it was me, I'd be like, okay, this is dangerous what you're doing, or this could get us in trouble, but let's figure out a way we can make it work. Instead, <laughs> I got suspended every single semester. But it was it was such original, creative stuff. And I think that's kind of like uh, a little foreshadowing into what I want to get into next. Because, Sean, I don't know if you know this about Jay, but Jay is kind of like a Staten Island cable icon. And he had mid-evenings with Jay Miller. And you could almost say that is the precursor to Impractical Jokers. Is that fair to say, Jay? I don't think so. I don't think no, because they were existing uh, um, kind of at the same time, but different, you know, parallel to each other, but not really connected um, until late. Because uh, so I started doing mid evenings, which was like a, a just your kind of typical late night talk show. Um, I started doing it in the back of. Uh, like bars and so you know, Martini Red was a bar on Staten Island that was really right. like kind of arty and cultural and had just that was the place on Van Duza, right? Yeah, it's right. now the Hop Shop. Right, right. And it was just a great collective of people, and um, you know that's when I started doing comedy again. Was because I met all these really funny people, and we started doing it in the back of bars, and then it did so well. We moved it to the theater at Snug Harbor. And that did really well. And um, and then we moved it to CTV. And so when I was doing it at, at the uh, Martini Red, when the show was over, we'd go to the cargo, uh, kind of to celebrate. That was our after party. And Sal, one of the Impractical Jokers, was the bartender at the cargo. And that's how I met him. And then I invited him to be a part of Mid-Evenings. Like, so like, was, just from talking with him or did you know him from the island because didn't they have an in, improv group at the time yeah no they've been doing the tenderloins forever but i didn't i didn't know who they were um you know so i only knew him as the bartender of cargo so and, what made you make what made you like i mean that's pretty good insight that you had you had you go from like this guy being the bartender to him coming on your show and then you guys becoming like such good friends we just we just got along right away because we both liked the same things. He liked to like make parties. He hired this karaoke uh, group called Karaoke Kill the Cat. So they would have these parties. And when I came in, I would always like, you know, try and make it as fun as possible. And he wanted things to be as fun as possible. So we just bonded on that. And when I found out he was, you know, in an improv group, I told him about the show, you know, and then I want, it was like, come watch the show. Tell me what you think. And he would give me notes. And then I was like, come do stuff with us. So we did stuff together. And that's when the, the Tenderloins were, they won like a, a Spike TV contest 
um, for their pilot. Um, and so I went and saw the, the pilot that they made for that. And I was, they were just pitching shows and pitching shows. And I was around for that. And, um, and then I moved the show to our public access. And he was on that for, uh, I think there was maybe like a year. It was almost the same time. I think I was doing that and his show was filming. I think what was he doing on your show when he became when he was when he was a member of the uh, mid evenings with Jay Miller? What was he on your show? Uh, you know, I, I had people. I guess like a like a Chris Elliott kind of. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Was was he doing bits and characters? Yeah, I'd be like, hey, you have five minutes. Do whatever you want to do. He, you know, he did one bit where he wore a, a, a luchador mask to cover his face, and we had to guess who he is, but. You know, as soon as he comes out, you know, on the, the, the bottom screen, we put the text, you know, Sal Volcano. And, uh, <laughs> and it was very clearly him. He did one thing where he was going to eat. I think he, he was going to eat uh, 30 bananas in 30 seconds. And we spent about five minutes talking about how he's been preparing for this. And then when it starts, he just eats one banana super slow. <laughs> And then once it gets to five seconds, he just shoves all the bananas into his mouth all at once. That's pretty funny stuff. That, that, that That's out of the box stuff. That's great. That is great. Now, who else came through on your show? Did, did, did you have Colin Jost and Casey and all those guys? Well, Casey it was a part of it. Um, Colin was a guest on the show. Um, but it was me and, and Casey and, and Tim Duffy who um, has been a part of the, you know, running the Comedy Central social media forever. Um, uh, J.F. Harris, who's a- Oh, a, I remember J.F. Harris. A comedian. Um, oh, gosh. I know I'm going to forget people. Was his girlfriend at the time part of it, uh, Justy? <laughs> no, they're no longer. No, I, I know, I know. That's I why DJ, I said it. I DJed their wedding, fun fact. That is a fun fact, yeah. yeah. But I, I like how, like that, from that small community, from doing things on Staten Island, like you know, they were at Farrell, you were at Moore, and like somehow these paths came across. I mean, when it came, when I saw that it was, you know, they got this show, and I saw that you were a producer. I remember, I was like, shit, man, I remember this guy. I remember watching him on Staten Island Cable, and, and it, it, you know, there was just something good about it, about like you know, this these guys from Staten Island, like you know, like it was, it, I, it couldn't have been forced. To me, it seemed like this is just what you guys do. This is who you are. And this show became an extension of what you do. 100%. Yeah. It, it goes back to the way that I never really liked doing traditional stand-up. I, I, I wanted to do a talk show, but I didn't want it to be just like traditional talk show. And there's actually... There's a show, you might know this one, but there's a show on Staten Island Cable called the uh, Staten Island Comedy Show. I've Are been you... a guest on it. Are you kidding me? What, what Staten Island comic hasn't been on that show? It almost feels, seems like a rite of passage. Yes. Can, I just, can I just say that I remember when I did it and <laughs> you were actually on the show with with uh, Casey, I think with Tim. And it was the show with the the guy with the fucking drummer with the long hair, Freddie Kasha. And his, every his time, I think every his, time was he, his brother was the Susan Wagner basketball coach. Oh and every time oh. he gets a punchline, he's doing the fucking rim shot and and yep. hits. 
I almost, I almost shit my pants. I was holding my stomach and from convulsing, laughing so hard. I'm saying this, this can't be what comedy is like that. This, this can't be like the, the biggest thing that's ever happened to me at the, at the time. It was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. It was like three years in, it was so fucking horrible. It, and it was the, and it was the exact opposite for me. Like I walked into that and I was just like, Oh, this is what comedy is like. So and none of them are that none of them are trying, but I was like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Comedians would go up and do their bit. And you know, this like they do their bit. And then he would do the rim shot, but the comedian like didn't know. I didn't know at all. It. And just watching these comedians be like, what? Oh, and then he would rim shot things that weren't jokes. Yeah. I, loved it. I love that stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. And that's why I brought the show to that same studio. The great studio. The great studio. And then I asked all the people who worked there. I wanted them on my show. So the the camera people were these people, they were all like, you know, 60 years old and no idea, they had no idea what they're doing. Um, and my director, uh, super sweet, but no one knew what they were doing. So people were cutting, you know, they're, you're cutting to things and it's me being, you know, the, the whole theme of that show was me wanting to be as professional as possible but the show always is a train wreck. So that's always <laughs> what it was. So me sitting there being like, why Why is the cut to me, cut to me? And then they cut to me and I'm just like, what What are we doing? And that was kind of the the whole show. And Jay, I don't know if you know the story behind it or if you know even know what I'm referencing here, but there was an episode on the Staten Island Comedy Show where Colin Jost and Fred Armisen came on the show. And my instinct tells me they knew what that show was and they went on that show because, I mean, this guy didn't know how to interview anybody. He was awkward. Uh, it was really, like you said, a train wreck. And Fred played it great. And he was always, to me, the most underrated cast member on Saturday Night Live ever. I thought he could do characters. He could do voices. He was just immensely talented. And that he got the joke of the Staten Island comedy show it put him on a different level for me. They did. Those guys, those guys used to watch the show. I remember I ran into Jason Sudeikis one time and it was the only time I've ever met him. And I was like, I was like, Oh, I'll say hello. And, and, you know, mention Casey. And so I was like, Hey, uh, I was like, my name's Jane. He was like, Oh, uh, you run the Staten Island comedy show. <laughs> I was like, Oh, Okay, like of everything I've done, that's where I got recognized from. But and yeah, and those guys loved it, and they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna go on," and and they were like, "We're gonna play it straight, one hundred percent." Like they're not good; they didn't make it a bit. They didn't make fun of them or anything like that. And 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 even for me, like I, I never, uh, I never made fun of them, or or I don't even mock them. Um, cause what they do is a hundred percent sincere and, and I think it's great that they're doing it. Um, it's just the way that it happens is, is just, uh, it, there's an unintentional comedy that comes from it. And do you think I went back on the show that like, I can just do my, you know, do some new jokes, but I want to sit behind the drums and do my own rim shot. You should do the jokes from, you should do your bit from the drum kit. <laughs> 
that's what you should do. Did I stutter? That's exactly what I said. You, you, you didn't make it clear. <laughs> I didn't make that's, it clear. You're fucking no. hearing aid up. That's exactly what I said. But you know what, Jay? You'd be surprised how many people actually watch these Staten Island shows. So there's a guy named Johnny P. And he, oh. do, and he does. None of your show. business. None of your business. None of your business. Hey, hey, you know, I'm Johnny P. You know, this is my show. I'm going to come up here. Like, it really is. It's the Joe Pesci show. That, that's, that's the show that I, I did. That's the show that I did. Okay. Right. So, but so I did that as well. And that's the I did show. that as well. Okay, and that's the show that Ellen Lewis watched. Ellen Lewis is one of the biggest casting agents in the country. She saw me on that show and cast me in The Irishman from that from being on that show. Wow. So these shows do have value. And and so this is a thing that I wish I knew much earlier in life because I would say no to so many things. I'd be like this isn't cool or I don't think this is good and now when I when I talk to younger comics I go do everything. Yes. So even Great if you advice. don't think it's you don't think it's gonna be fun or it's gonna be weird, just do it. You're never gonna know who's gonna be there, or who, or maybe you'll do a show and it's a terrible show, but you're gonna meet someone there and then become friends with that person. Like just do the things. And but I didn't do that when I was younger. I was like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do this. That I don't like that guy, or that's not gonna be crowded or anything like that. Like that's that is great advice to give to a young comic because this is what we do now. If you stay home, nothing's gonna happen. Nothing. I can guarantee you that. If you go out, no matter what you do, it could be something small like finding a tag for a joke, or it could be something big like somebody sees you in something, and it could give you like a whole new career almost. Okay. Yep. Um, how did let's just switch gears a little bit before you switch gears just one quick thing and this is uh this is on my youtube of me so i went on the Staten Island comedy show and read the book i did the bit and so and that bit is i have a book about firemen and i just read it that's right that's right it's a children's book and i'm just going through the pages but then certain photos i go into details of uh you know like it's a fireman uh climbing up a ladder and I go, this uh, fireman, I go, uh, don't worry, everyone in the fire survived. Um, but unfortunately, uh, right after this photo was taken, the crane collapsed and the fireman uh, passed. And then I like sit in an awkward That's silence. It's like, such a funny dark bit. And, and then I'm like, and then I go to the next one. I'm like, and we're at the beach, <laughs> like a dog looking, searching for, uh, um, oh, I, like it's a police, like police searching for a perp who just murdered a child. Okay. And then like the next one and, and on the, the, the video, it's great because you hear the hosts and like the girl, like in her super Staten Island accent, just being like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I then, oh man i remember that uh, and they wouldn't and he wouldn't air it he was like i'm not airing that he was like my son's going into to the fire account i'm not gonna air you're talking about dead fire he goes there's nothing funny about it but see yeah. that was great about that bit live and i could i can imagine this on if you did that on a nightly basis either people are going to get and they're going to laugh at the bit or you're gonna, it's gonna be funny by watching the uncomfortableness of the people that don't get the bit, which is just as funny. Yes, yes. That's what I loved about that, and that's and that's where I think that takes a tremendous amount of balls to do that type of comedy. 
Right. I, I will say that ne I did have to like fight with Nevin to get me a copy of it because I really wanted it, but he did give me a copy. And um, I do love all those guys, Nevin and and Freddie Kasha. Like I think those guys are are great. So he he, he was a nice guy. But how did how did Impractical Jokers come about? Can were you you were there from the inception, correct? Not working on it from the inception, but like with Sal as it was happening. Casey was 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 a PA on it in the very beginning, and he uh, did a lot more of the behind the scenes type of stuff, like the things I think is really funny, like like the song parodies and like you know oh, yeah. some, some some of that stuff, is, which is really really hysterical. I think I think that's his forte actually. Oh yeah, oh he's great at that. He's in a band, uh, Less Vinyl, with my sister actually oh cool fun fact um yeah watching impractical jokers blow up like they filmed it you know he would tell us about it and then like seeing him on on uh, uh on the sides of buses and just seeing the flyers for the show and then watching the show like blow up was just crazy kind of being there for it and and um as it got into the second season that's when Casey started writing for the show and again like being a part of a tv show just uh, you know I, I, the one thing I've always lacked was any sort of self-confidence uh, uh and and so like still even though one of my friends is on tv being a part of tv doesn't seem like something that's attainable and uh finally I was just like hey I want to submit for the show and and even the first time he was like, yeah. And I started doing it and I was just like, I can't do this. That was the start of season two. I was like, I'm not good enough for this. And then a few months later, I was like, fuck it. Wait, what, are you, what are you talking about? You know, submitting and what didn't you think you were good enough for? To submit a packet to be like a writer. Okay. Uh, but they knew you. Everyone, yes. you know, they're, they're all from Staten Island. They all, you, you know, I mean, you did have a reputation. I mean, I, well, I remember I they, they wrote stories about you on this in the Staten Island Avenue on Staten Island Live. Everybody knew who Jay Miller was. And that's why, like, when you when I saw your name at, attached to the show, I was like, oh, he must have known these guys growing up. I know I only knew Sal. I didn't know those. Yeah. Others. yeah. But but it just seemed like such a Staten Island thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So and that's so, why, like, you know, Sal was like, submit a packet. You know, here's like, here's some chat, you know, come up with some challenges, come up with some, some stuff. And, but those other guys didn't know who I was. So they had to get my packet and, and once, and that was like in the middle of two and a half. And they were like, um, yeah, come on. I actually, when I got hired, this is funny. He was like, do you want to do Impractical Jokers? But we also have another show called Jokers Wild, which is going to be more like sketches and stuff. Would you rather do that? And me, like an idiot, was like, I'd rather be on the show that starts from the bottom. Like, so I want to be a part of that show. And um, that show didn't start for months and months. And uh, I wound up not starting working for the show. Me and my friend got hired at the same time. He started the next day. I started like seven months later because I chose, I made the wrong choice. What kind of what kind of stuff did you submit in your package? What kind of ideas and how many did you have to come up with? Well, the original packet I think was was small. It might have been like you know three challenges and two punishments or something like that. And some it was like something when they're in the dentist. If we're at the dentist, what are some funny things we could say or do? Kind of like that. 
And then a couple months later, they're like, we want you to make another packet and we want you to come up with 75 challenges and 25 punishments, which I did. And then- How long did that take you? What? How long did that take you? I mean, that, I mean, that was a week. Um, and the showrunner said to me afterwards, he goes, he goes, we did not expect you to do that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why they like chow like this. Because thinking of it now, I was like, a hundred? We were pitching about 10 a week. And I was like, you made me come up with a hundred? But, and that's, you know, after that, they were like, oh yeah, 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 you're, you're hired. So. Wow. But what was, what was some of the challenge that you know, we may have seen? I love the show. Uh, I think a lot of people in our audience love the show. So what were some of the things that you came up with that made it on air? Well, I think the biggest one is two-way mirror. That's the one that people. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. They do that a lot. Yeah. Um, two-way uh mirror we had one of like devil voices that was an early one where they like talked in different voices and they had to guess who was uh saying it that's right um did that in the park yeah a specific oh i can't even remember a specific one of the my the one that i'm most proud of is the I I was a a writer there you know part of creative for two years and then i became a producer which I kind of enjoyed more. Um, and as a producer, you're actually working on the segment from inception to completion. Yes. So, you know, the one that I'm most proud of is Q's musical, um, which we did at the College of Staten Island. And who was the guy in the pink shirt? The dancer. Not yeah, you. I was going to say, Sean? <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sean could not lift his leg the way this male dancer. Fuck you, dances. I'm a fat ninja. You have no idea <laughs> what dancing skills, goddammit. Continue. There was a guy who danced alongside Q. It was hysterical. Oh, he was, oh, he was yeah. some dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those we got all those kids from Wagner. That's And so I reached oh, out great to the Wagner department. Sure. Reached, reached out to the Wagner Theater Department, got a bunch of people. They choreographed all the dances. I wrote all the music for it. Um, and didn't you have a Broadway uh, star on that? We had uh, Alex Brightman. That's who right. Was, who was Beetlejuice. Uh, we originally had Seth Radetzky, who is a well-known broadway guy sure what was then, he uh uh book of mormon no what was he, he in the, what was he in i i i could be getting my broadway mixed up i haven't gone to broadway since the pandemic he's not really known for for doing anything specific he, he has a show on sirius xm yeah he's just like to mr him. broadway so and he's super funny. And we had him at the last minute. He couldn't. And he was like, I have someone else for you. It's like Alex Brightman. I was like, oh, yes. He's great. And he came in just as these guys are crazy because, you know, I recorded the song for him um, and sent it to him. And when he got to set, clearly he had never listened to the song and managed to learn it, learn the melody, learn all the lines within two hours had the entire song down and was like, I was so impressed by that. I was like, it would take me a few days to learn a whole song, but that, that was, 
He's a pro, yeah. man. He's a Broadway star. Did Q really not know what was going on? Oh, dude, no clue. And so, so what we're I, watching, they they're not acting any of that out. All that stuff is real. He that's it's it's one of my favorites for so many reasons. Uh, but yeah, we I reached out to one of his fire department friends and was like, "Can you get a group of people?" And those guys, once I told them the idea, they were like, "Don't worry about, we got it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The trust they they were like, there was nothing they were more excited for, and. And we did a bit where, you know, he walks in. I had a whole audience full of people. Of yeah, regular, regular, regular people. Like, he walks like, so out. How do you how do you pull that off? Where do you keep the firefighters? How do you, like, not go into the parking lot? Like, how how is that done? Um. Well, at CSI, it, it was easy. You know, you have a lot of cars there. It doesn't matter. Dude. People are in class. Um. You know, you look out. There's a bunch of people in the audience. And then we take him to um another room that is uh downstairs in that theater in 1p the performance theater downstairs it nobody's there you can't hear anything there's no cell service it's you're in the middle of nowhere and so all the firemen were in another room and so once he peeked out we brought him downstairs we brought we got all those people out we got all the firemen in um, you know, my brother's a fireman. He was there. Um, my dad is there too. And when he steps out and looks and he like drops his head, like, cause he steps out to do it. He's committed to the bit just to do it. And he like starts it. And it wasn't until he notices like one or two people. And then he was like, man, he, he said it over and over. He was just like, oh, man, I was so embarrassed. He was like, that might have been the most embarrassed I've ever been. That, that's a great one. I mean, I've, I've got it. I must have seen that a million times. It never gets boring to me. What was another one that you guys did? Did you, you Were you involved in the uh, Genie episode when Joe was dressed as a genie? The Genie one was another one that I, that I produced that one. I did that one pretty much by myself because um, – uh, they all went to Hawaii and filmed the episode. Uh, uh, there was yeah, they had a, a Hawaiian episode. Um, Hawaii, Florida. No, they did a Hawaiian one. Mer, I think it was Hawaii. Mer swam with sharks. Oh, they did. You're right. That was that was yeah. a great one. Yeah, yeah. So they, they don't they don't air that one a lot. Yeah, they all went to Hawaii, and I stayed back. Um which I wasn't happy with at the time, <laughs> but, but then I got to produce that genie one. And that's what I met. Uh, uh, Chris O'Neill, who was uh, in book of Mormon. And he had a, a theater that he worked up, up in, in uh, Connecticut and they were able to get an audience and we, you know, did all that. And again, that's an entire audience. Holy Here's shit. Was that funny? So here's a here's a fun fact about that episode is they come out and they're like, oh, we're doing this uh, genie thing. We open up. It's the genie. It's weird. Curtain closes. Now we need to reset. We need to get um, a lot of the stage out. We need to bring the new stage in. Uh, we have to set him up. And this doesn't take two minutes. This takes about 10 to 15 minutes, which means Chris is in front of the stage completely improvising a play about a genie and 
I still haven't seen the video. I know it's out there, but it's him because he's not being because the play isn't funny in, in in its its idea of it. It's a serious play with a genie and and you know an Aladdin. It's, a, it's, a, it's Aladdin. So he's out there completely improvising a whole story for about ten to fifteen minutes while the audience is being like, "What is going on?" <laughs> And he told when it was done, he was like, dude, I was dying out there. Like, can you imagine, you know how long 10 minutes is? I'm just improvising a, a play about Aladdin. And the, and the audience isn't aware of this? No, they were there just to see uh, uh, just a show, you know, because that's a theater company who always puts on shows. So they sent an email out and was like, hey, we're doing a free production tonight. Come by. And then they have to know what's up. Does does it when you do like some of the um, not not the punishments when you do kind of like the challenges, mm -hmm. okay? Um, what what's something that sometimes can go wrong? What what's like the biggest problems or obstacles that you guys have? like? How I mean, I, I would figure as you get later on. I mean, you were on the you were on for quite a while. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to think it got to be harder to find places where people don't know you guys. I, I gotta say, people were so respectful of us, like because we're in we're in the mall, you know. We 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 would shoot at the mall, and and people would recognize them, and people would stay away. People would kind of just stand on on the side and watch, um, but never so much that someone walking by would be like, "Why is everyone standing and looking?" And they wouldn't walk up. They wouldn't bother us. Like people were, were always, even at the parks and stuff like that, people were all respectful to be like, oh, they're filming. Almost like we're going to sit and be a part of it. So fans would sit, you know, and they'd watch it all happening, you know, and like they were all, because that situation could have been, could have always been bad. Like once we're spotted, you know, if you get 50 people to come and stand around, you know, if you come walking into that and someone's talking to you and then you look up and you see 50 people filming you, you're like, oh, this is, this is a bit, you know, but. And it becomes a bust of a day. Yeah. But that yeah. never happened. Did you ever come across any bad sports? Oh, of course. Of course. No, there was one that stands out to me with, uh, I think Mur I don't know if you guys were like in a telco or someplace like that. And Murr is goes up to this big black guy and he starts like you know asking him about bra size. Would this fit you or something like that? And that guy, I mean, he was going after him. You could see the producers or the people working on the show jumping in to intervene. Hey, it's just a show. It's just a show. You can hear Murr saying it, and it doesn't look like it's it's staged. This looks real. I don't know that. That might there, there were two years that I wasn't on it, so it. Yeah, that I don't recall that one. Um, no, nothing. Nothing is staged. I know people are always like surprised by that, but well, it's, it's so not. good. Because I'm going to ask you a question that's going to infuriate Jeff because I know he hates this topic. Uh, if memory serves me correct, uh, you're a wrestling fan, aren't you? Ooh, big time. Okay, so so am I. Now you are presented an option. You can stay where you are, or you can take this job at WWE as a lead writer for three years, guaranteed. You're not getting fired. 
do you walk away from the Jokers? Okay, well, two things. One, I'm currently not with the Jokers. Okay. Um, well, hypothetically, you were there. Hypothetically, if it was the two. I mean, this is a deeper question because working for WWE would, I, I think one of my fr friends is the head writer there. And I haven't even asked him about me getting in there because I'm like, I don't know if I want to work for WWE. You know, I, I have a lot of issues with, with Vince McMahon being there. Yeah, I agree with if it was work for the Jokers or work for AEW, I'm I'm going to AEW. That's interesting. I mean, we're and, and working in wrestling, that's another thing that always felt like, oh, that's not attainable. That's something that other people do. Until I see like my friend in there, and I had a few friends like writing and, and I was like, oh, oh, that is something that I could do. And I'm like, Dude, oh. you need more confidence. You, I mean, you've accomplished so much already. You, you, I mean, you can't write for that. Of course, you can write for that. It, it seems, yeah, in your head, sure, but <laughs> and it's, it's not, it's not a, a gimmick. It's not like a false. It's not a, a humility. It's, yeah, that it, it doesn't seem something that I'm. I, listen. Like. Guys like you, uh, Sean, my friend Ray Goots, you know, I mean, guys are all like, you know, so super into wrestling, and you and, you, and they have you guys have great ideas. I mean, I think it, I think it'd be a home run. You know, you guys were all like writing for these. Uh, that's, that's a dream. Of, it was a dream of mine. It really was for a very very long time. Because like I, I can sit back and appreciate. Like I don't watch every single match. I fast forward through a lot of shit. But like I'm talking about the actual storyline arcs, like that's the kind of stuff that real writing the promos. Like my cousin's a professional wrestler, and I always say like I would change one thing, and I would be able to get over 12, 13 guys that cannot speak on the microphone. I can get them over with doing changing one thing, inflection in their voice. Some of these guys cut the most amazing promos, but they sound like they're fucking farting on a snare drum. They're they're they have just no character. So all they have to do is change the inflection and of their tone of their voice, and they would take so much better, so much better on their promos. And that's the parallel. Good, Jay. L.A. Knight is like all inflection. He's right, all he's, and he's. I mean, I love watching certain things. Like you know, I've, I've said to people like you know they, they watch the whole Bloodline uh, storyline, and I'm like, it's too long. It's too long. No, understand something. Like you are watching something that you're never going to see again. Yeah. This, is a, this is a generational thing. You're only going to see this once every 25 years or whatever. It's a story, you know, and it's a great soap opera. So, Jeff, it's like if you really find a great show that you like, you know, whether it's Sons of Anarchy or something like that, when they just have that one season that just stands out more than another season. This that's, what I felt. that's the way I felt about Walking Dead. So what was it? Was it your idea? To do the Q punishment with Tommy Dreamer when he dresses up as Peter Pan and they tell him that he's going that he's going to be no, in a play and he's actually playing like the heel to Tommy Dreamer. I remember the, the bit. I was there for that. Was that my? I, I I don't remember what what was mine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Like sometimes I'm like. 
oh, was Peter Pan? Did I pitch Peter Pan? Uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I, I just, I really don't know. I would love to take credit for a I lot mean, of I mean, you did, guys, you did incorporate some wrestling in. There was, you had Tommy Dreamer came out again and uh, uh, Billy Ray Dudley. You know, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I did that one. Velvet Sky. We got Bully Ray. We got his wife at the time, uh, Velvet Sky, and Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, and that was yeah. great. Those those were those were great. They were always so funny. And to go back to your last question, if WWE asked me to be head writer, of course I would. What am I saying that I, <laughs> I would? I and I would be like, uh, I don't know, and then I'd be like, yes, but uh, of course I would. So I don't know if you know the answer to this, and if you don't, it's okay. And, and if you don't want to answer, it's cool too. Um, what happened with Joe on the uh, Impractical Joe? Because why isn't he a part of the show anymore? I don't, you know, I think it it's just what he said it was, you know? I kind of believe that too. I think it was family stuff. And, you know, he's, um, he's performing stand-up and he's loving it. I did some shows with him uh last year i was with him two weeks ago we did the show in orlando um and hanging out with him and he's i think he's kind of really enjoying that of having kind of that freedom and and uh he has he's taken the summer off to hang with the family and then he's going back on the road again uh in the fall so and he's fr still friends with all those guys oh yeah 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 there's nothing nothing weird about it like um, he's shown up to to Impractical Jokers live shows. He he shows up at Sal's shows every once in a while, and 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 vice versa. So I I saw that, yeah, yeah, nothing weird there. I mean, I you know I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do something together again at some point. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's anything more than what he said it was. I love the Amazing. level. They, these guys that are starting to perform at where they're doing these huge arenas and these amazing venues. I mean, a good friend of ours, uh, well, of mine at least, is uh, one of their openers, Chris Johnston. So, like, he'll post. He'll I, have, post. I, have, I have him coming to my club in. Do you? Yeah, like, we, we have him in November. He's a monster. Great. Love him. So, like, I'll, I'll always, like, I texted him a couple weeks ago and I, you know, once in a while, I'll just be like, you know, I'll break his balls. But I said, you play. You went to the fucking Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. I said, "I'm so fucking proud of you." I can't even tell you. And he goes, "Yeah, but I still can't get booked at the Comedy Cove in Springfield," which is <laughs> so true. It's just, it's just the nature of this business. You know, you can play the most historical country music venue of all time, but you can't play on top of a fucking seventies restaurant. Well, November, November third. You can catch Chris Johnson at Laughing Stock Comedy Club in Granville, Pennsylvania. He'll be headlining that show. Well, well, fuck that show. Come to uh, September 29th when I'm headlining at the Laughing Stock Comedy Club. Fuck Chris Johnson. He makes enough Joker money. I ain't going to make shit at this goddamn show. Go to my show instead. Jay, before, listen, we, we, we got to look at I don't have any shows to uh, promote. Right no, now. but we got we got to talk. Oh, I do. No, I got shows to promote. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to it. But let we, we, before we let you go, I mean, we have spoken to you for about 40, 50 minutes already. We have not spoke one lick of music. What? what oh my what, God, what? this is a mute. That's right. This it is, is a music day. show. It's a music yeah. show where, where we speak no music. Okay. 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 So, 
you're here on the false pretenses. Um, did we do the full career? Uh, yeah, we're good. Oh, listen, d- dude, I, 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 I can talk. I can talk to you for another hour about this stuff. No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, I love Jay. I find Jay to be one of the most interesting people around. Uh, well, I I think, talk, I, let's talk one more comedy thing before we we get into that because, um, the last few years, like uh, comedy wise, have not been great for me. I had some jobs I did not. Uh, like and as I already said self-confidence was not great and then self-confidence was pretty much done and uh, I kind of kind of uh, gave up on it and um, there's this show in the city called Batsu Um, it's a Japanese game show and they have four you know warriors on stage and they play these short form improv games Um, and if they're funny, great. But if they're not funny, they get a batsu, which means punishment in Japanese. And um, those guys uh, knew me from mid-evenings and from some other things and called me up and said, we want you to be a part of the show. And um, that was one of those things where I really wanted to say no and force myself to say yes. And uh, it was one of the best things I've ever done. I've been a part of that show now for eight months. And they do seven shows a week. Tuesday, Where are you doing the shows? What's that? Where do you do them? Um, there's a place. Uh, uh, it's a Japanese restaurant oh, in the, Japanese the Lower restaurant. East Side. But it's the restaurant is it's a restaurant theater, so it's just for this show. And seven shows a week. They don't promote the show anywhere, and it sells out every night. And it's been doing this forever. It's all word of mouth. How big is the theater? Uh, around 80 people. No, it's perfect. And it's great. And it's really helped me kind of get back to be like, oh, maybe we are funny. Let's do this. And and there's also a guy on Staten Island by, named Manny Rondon who has been running shows on Staten Island forever, like in his house, in his backyard. Now he's doing it at the the brewery, uh, flagship brewery on Staten Island. Is that, the, is that the place off of Bay Street? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great room. They have that little room in the, in the when you walk into the bar off to the side. Yeah. That's a great little room. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Richards used to do something over there. Yeah. Nancy, yeah, yeah. But he's another guy who's been so supportive of me. And so he does a monthly show that I'm now doing stand up there I, I did stand up for the first time in almost four years in may um how did it feel uh that one felt pretty good um i've done some after that that did not feel as good but and then and then i was right back in the uh why do i do this i don't understand why i do this i hate this <laughs> so <laughs> kind of right back in that but uh just just to end on that just you know, getting back into it. And uh, uh, as you say, like, you know, I could list all the things I've done, but I'm not, I'm not connected to those things. Like that might be impressive to you, but it's not impressive to me. Not enough for me to feel like, oh yeah, I should be doing this. Or why, why, why is that? Because he's humble. No, that has nothing to do. I don't know if it has anything to do with humble. I don't Nothing think it has anything to do with humble. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I, I truly don't understand how you could have 
you have these thoughts, you have these ideas, you you produce. People don't realize how hard that is to produce, to, to, to come up with an idea, to write it out, to you know produce it, to have these sets and to and to, and there the, some of these iconic bits. I don't know why you wouldn't have like the the confidence saying, "Hey man, I can do anything because I this was something that was in my head, and that I saw you know being played out." I think I don't I don't know, maybe, you know maybe you are a humble guy, but I think that's really impressive. Yeah, I mean I know it's impressive because people like you tell me, but uh, it it doesn't connect with me it doesn't feel like i've done anything impressive and and that's uh you know trying to get back into this thing of of um feeling uh, uh i guess uh, pride you know doing these shows where i'm on, on stage every night performing for these people and and being really good at it and trying to walk off stage and being like you were really good at that like that was good. Instead of my initial uh, instinct, which is, it wasn't really that good. Or this audience will like <laughs> anything. It's not. It wasn't really me. It's the like these people were stupid. You know. That's <laughs> so trying, trying to get my my brain there. But um, yeah, clearly, I'm still not there yet. So, but I appreciate I... you saying I've I've been getting better at accepting compliments. Because normally when I get them, I would just push them right back. So I've been better at just being like. Well, you're a like, smart guy and you'll figure it out. Are you a big music guy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like what, like what do you, what do you listen to? What's, what's, what's your music? Who's your band? Who is my band? Well, um, my, <laughs> you know, who was my guy? This, this is, this is one of the most, Painful Kid Rock. Things. No. Okay. Well, almost. I loved Kanye West for years and years. He was my favorite. I have a, a Kimye tattoo, which is Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Why? Was this a punishment that we don't know about? <laughs> well, I always felt like if one asshole could meet another asshole and come, <laughs> like, that's what real love is. Like, just finding another asshole for yourself and that makes me feel like oh there's there's another asshole out there for me that kind of explains this show yeah <laughs> yeah hate to break that yeah i actually my one of my favorite concert experiences ever was when i went to the kanye west concert at msg yeah. and the tribe called quest opened up for them and there. and you saw maybe half the arena leave after yeah. tribe called quest was on stage <laughs> Yeah, I went. Sal and I went to that. We were we were in the pit. Great, great show. That was great. Um, so yeah. him, uh, the stuff going on with him has really been uh, heartbreaking. It's sad to watch. Actually, it is. Really, it, you can make it that, like you're actually watching the decline of somebody's mental stability. Yeah, but heartbreaking in a way that you don't get with music. You can get uh, uh, musicians who like don't make good music anymore, but never someone where you're like, wow, I love all his music but now i don't know how to feel about it it's hard when someone's say, like, i love nazis and then being like oh let's put his record on can like you separate hard. the can you separate the art from the person 
I think most of the times you can. But when a guy says he loves Nazis. You think he really means that? I can't believe that. I really cannot believe that. Um, I think initially, no. Does he but... understand what he's saying when, when he says that? Is he are we missing something? There's something missing the translation. I just I just really have a hard time believing that because I, I, he's not a stupid guy. He's far from it. I, I I just can't see him saying why 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 would what be the benefit? Does it, why would he? Was there about Nazis that he enjoyed? Well, because if you live in that world uh, and surrounded by those people, the things that they say make sense, whether they're true or not. And same with with. Uh, certain presidential people, um, they'll say things that make sense that you believe in. Like, uh, you know, Mexican people are coming into the country and and raping us. Well, I don't want that. So yeah, I want to stop that from happening. Granted, that's not happening. But that's still, if I believe that's happening, that's going to make me hate those people. So if I'm only listening to people, which he's at the time telling him that Jews are running the world, that's all he hears. Well, you know what? I don't like that. If that's wait, all he, wait, he, that, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> but if people are telling you that, of course, I would hate the Jews if I felt like they were running everything and they were the one. They're the reason that I can't move forward. They're the reason why I can't do this is because of them. Yeah, I oh, hate them too. That was that's textbook classic Nazism. That's exactly what Hitler said to the German people. Is like it's not your fault. You know, World War. You know, get taking the blame for World War One. It's not your fault. It's the Jews. Well, they were easy scapegoats. They didn't have a country. They never went backing them up. The world basically hated them. Okay, so yeah, they were they were easy targets. Sure, and yeah. I would hate them too if that's the only thing that I'm hearing is how terrible they are. Like, of course, propaganda. That's ex exactly. So when he's living in that world, of course, he's going to believe it. He doesn't, you know, it's not like he has. But you don't think he could decipher that or he doesn't have people around to tell him uh, that this is like, you know, open up a book, just show, watch a video. It, it takes five minutes, take five seconds, really, yeah. to, to kind of expose that. Yeah, but they they get in that mindset of like, no, you're the one who needs to read a book. Like, you're the one who's not listening. Oh, and then man, how, do you fight, how do you fight against that? Oh, man. Yeah. It, 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 I think that's what, what we were kind of like fighting with right now as a, as a society, as a country. Oh, you know? we, we live in two completely separate. A hundred percent. I believe that a hundred percent. We live in two completely different places. So besides Kanye, you listen... You listen to anyone light like a uh, Rage Against the Machine, anyone like that? <laughs> Love Rage Against the Machine. I I hate that I was in Utah last year and and missed their show. I bought tickets for them in 2020, and then mm -hmm. it got moved, 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 and finally got moved to the point where I wasn't here when it happened. Sean went right. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was a great show. Sat on the friggin' uh, on one of the uh, guitar cases because he broke his foot like three days before. That's right. That's right. And still rocked out like a motherfucker. And he couldn't even. He was he was headbanging so freaking hard he almost fell off the freaking guitar cabinet. It was amazing. Hey Jay, do you remember a guy on Staten Island named James Monaco? No. He wrote the movie The Negotiator. He wrote Jack. No. Yeah, he 
um, years ago, uh, I used to work with bands, and I used to work. Did you know Sean Fox at all? No. Okay. Um, we all used to work like do, doing these uh, these shows, and one of the shows that we did was Rage Against the Machine and Wu Tang, Staten Island guys. And at that show, uh, Zach jumps up twenty minutes into the show, lands awkwardly on his on his foot. Leaves the stage for about 45 minutes, comes back, they tape it up, he finishes the show, but he does it sitting on a chair. Still to this day, the, uh, violin concert I ever went to in my life. That was 1980. Was that at the uh, Brendan Byrne Arena? It was. It yeah. was. And what was famous about that show is that that the uh the security lost the house. It was it was festival seating on the floor. And yep. everybody was was rushing down. They overfilled the uh, the, the yeah, arena I was, floor. I was on the rail for that. You show. on that? I was on the rail for for Wu Tang Clan, and I'm not a huge rap fan, so I'm like, all right, let me get into it. And I'm, I'm I'm having a great time, and I'm enjoying it. And then as soon as Rage comes on, this is the only way I can describe it. And I don't want to sound like a real racist piece of shit, but here's how it happened. Chances are, if you're a fan of the Wu Tang Clan, you're not white. Okay. And if you, if you are not white, okay. No, no, hold on. Hold on, Jay. You're turning your head. I would disagree. I would disagree. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Here's where I'm getting at. Okay. Uh, You just dug yourself in a pretty good hole right now. No, 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 no. no. Hold on. No, I want to see you get out of it. It's split 50 50. Okay. So half of, half of Wu Tang's audience is black, half is white. Okay. Chances are, if you're from the black side of the, of the um, demographic, you have not been to a rock or metal show. Is that a fair assessment, right? So when the first song comes on and a huge pit breaks out, they're looking at it and going, wow, this is really cool. Okay, we can beat the shit out of everybody. And that's what happened is the fact that there was a lot of people who were at this kind of show who were not used to seeing what a rock show is, what a mosh pit. You genuinely take care of each other. Well, it really just turned into an absolute fist fight. And I went from being on the rail for Wu-Tang in the first song. By the fifth song, I was already up in the 200 section, sitting far, far away from the... <laughs> well, they not were- to be a cliche liberal piece of shit, but at those shows, you also have these douchebag frat boys. Oh, they're, they're who, the worst of everybody. Yeah, they see this thing and they go, oh, we're allowed to beat the shit out of people. Right. And, and they do the same thing. It's like, 100, you're 100% right with that. It's can not- you name the can you name the third band on that show? Sorry, Teenage Riot. And I was, I was their tour manager the year before. Get out of here. And that's why I remember that show cuz that's when they came back and I was always upset that I missed that show. But yeah, that, I see. There's layers. You're an onion, Jay. <laughs> you know, like, listen, man. We we thank you so much for coming out and taking the time and being a guest on the show, man. I didn't this, even talk about the band that I was supposed to talk about. Who who's the band? It was some band I never heard of. It's a band called Deaf Heaven. You know Deaf Heaven, Sean? No, I never have. Well, that's all the time we have, Jay. And <laughs> now, t- tell us a little bit about Deaf Heaven. No, I don't. I don't need to. It's just funny that that was the band. And yeah, I, 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 I we we know pretty much that's first music. That, that's, that's a first. A, that, that's a first. Only seven fucking guests go. Well, the Beatles. Yeah, okay. We get <laughs> fucking Beatles. No one has said Death Heaven, and I'm very happy about that now. Yeah, no, they're we... they're a metal they're a metal band, okay. uh, but but it's a mix of like uh kind of 
you know, a screamy death metal and kind of... Uh, you don't come across as a death metal guy. No, no. They're like one of the only ones I like. But they're I think you would like Taylor Swift. I do like Taylor Swift. Yeah. But they also yep. have these like uh, 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 like ethereal, um, um, like long instrumental moments in between that build into these big moments. And um, they're pretty great. I've seen them so many times. I'm actually, I'm going to uh, the UK on Tuesday. Um, the show that I'm in, Batsu, is part of the, the Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah, yeah. They've taken over the closing spot. They've had a show that's been there for 20 years as the closing show of the of every night. And Batsu has taken that over. So I'm going over there. I'm doing two shows there, which is crazy. And then, uh, yeah, I'm seeing Deaf Heaven in London on Friday. And then I'm going to Wembley Stadium for uh, AEW on Sunday. Are you really? I fucking hate your guts so much. <laughs> now I really don't like them. It's it's not bad being Jay Miller, right? No, it's horrible. I don't really do anything. I'm still you bet me. There were eighty thousand people at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> Shut up. Listen, man. Have a have a, have a great time. You know, lots of luck with the, with the show. And again, we do appreciate you coming out and doing the show. This is. I mean, this was great. I haven't been on a podcast in a very long time, so I. Uh, Appreciate you guys asking, and uh, I know I wasn't funny, so I hope you listen. Don't worry about co-hosts isn't either. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not very funny. I, yeah, I, I go up. Uh, I, I struggle every single night, and you know nobody hires me, and you know I have to sit here and you know promote my friends' clubs. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. All right, listen, Jay. Anything you like to to tag? Anything you like to promote? Um, Batsu, New York City. And where can people find you? Um, don't that don't. Right, let's see. Leave Jay alone. He, he, you know, he, he has too many friends. Okay, listen, guys. Thank you so much for for uh, tuning in. Uh, subscribe and keep giving us good reviews, and we really appreciate it. We appreciate you, uh, Jay Miller, and we will catch you in a couple of weeks, folks. We we take a vacation. I'm in Italy this uh, week coming up, and we'll see you back in September. Take care, everybody. <laughs>